Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, football friends. It's the return of the Game Day Premier League preview podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, Alex Crook, and the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis. Exactly 10 years to the day since their last defeat to Everton, will the champions come unstuck at the home of the Toffees? Arsenal don't win big away games, but Manchester City don't usually lose at home and get held by a newly promoted side. This, after all, is the new world. Paper blue, Chelsea and Southampton and Newcastle against Manchester United test the wallet. But how have Solskjaer's United gone from the most clean sheets in Europe to letting Tottenham do the Olays? Maybe a bit of distance has done them all good, or maybe not. Talking of Spurs, after being lightly raced in the international break, will Harry hit the heights against the Hammers? And will we get our first glimpse of Gareth? Plus, Brighton go to the Palace in the M23 derby, Fulham are off to Bramwell Lane, and Gold Pigs, Leicester and Aston Villa clash on Sunday night. All the best previews with the discipline of the England football squad. It's the Game Day Premier League preview podcast from TalkSport. Is game day. Hello to Darren Lewis, the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, and looking dashing as always. How are you? Very well indeed. Very, very happy that the Premier League is back. Looking forward to more uh, action. Players getting the best out of themselves, managers getting the best out of the players, and just being able to put something in the paper that lifts people after the last week or so. Okay, and Alex Crook is with us as well, Talk Sports transfer guru and reporter. Are you excited for the weekend? What have you got this weekend? Well, first and foremost, uh, all those statements that Darren just uh, made, clearly he's not going to cover Newcastle against Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be no managers getting best out of players there. Um, I'm actually uh, tipping into the Championship on Saturday. I'm at Bournemouth. They've started the season really well under Jason Tindall. Um, So I'm looking forward to that one. And then I have a uh, midday kickoff in the Premier League for TalkSport International on Sunday and then of course Darren Bent's boot room on Sunday evening so looking forward to it Okay uh, let's have a quick reflection on England because Wednesday night saw them beaten uh, for the first time this season when they lost to Denmark I was at Wembley and, and you mentioned Bournemouth in, in the build up to this and that you're going down there on Saturday and I, when I got back into my hotel room I saw that Eddie Howe was trending and I was like well why the hell is Eddie Howe trending because 
because for some unknown reason, um, the um, and look, football fans occasionally could be accused of being fickle. Uh, the football media could be a, a, a accused of being fickle every now and again. But I, I must admit, having witnessed the last three games with my own eyes and being at every England game for since I can remember, I I, I don't really understand the hashtag Southgate out um, mobilisation. Darren, you? No, I, don't, I wouldn't go that far. And I think I'd like to think as a nation we're growing up in terms of the way we treat our England managers. And in the past, people have been very quick to hammer the media. And now they don't realise everyone's a publisher now. If you... Uh, can put your name to something like that, then you are trying to influence the people around you. And I think it's a knee-jerk reaction to a, a poor few games, admittedly, um, an uninspiring group of games over the last three matches. But the idea that we should be calling for Southgate to go is just lunacy. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they did win 20 of their previous 21 home international games prior to the game against Denmark and they beat the number one ranked team in the world no matter what you think about the configuration of that team they started without Kane without Sterling without Sancho arguably the first choice front three but look I suppose the the best thing to do is is to hear from what the manager thought afterwards. We'll hear from Harry Kane and Declan Rice. We will get to all the big previews which are coming up. And there's some massive games live on TalkSport, Everton, Liverpool and the game between Manchester City and Arsenal. And that's going to be the focus of our pod today. So don't go anywhere. But have a quick listen to what the manager said after the game against Denmark. You know, they they performed with resilience. They performed with discipline. Um, They stuck to a... Yeah, I, I thought it was almost as good a performance as you could give with 10 because they picked the right moments to press, the right moments to stay in shape, the right moments to use the ball and pass the ball, the right moments to go more direct, win free kicks, tried to maximise the set plays. So, yeah, I couldn't be prouder of what the players have done, not only tonight, but across the 10 days. They've, They've come together as a group. They've shown tremendous resilience in the face of incredible adversity in the last two camps. Um, and they, they know they've got a special spirit and a special bond. There's lessons we have to learn from tonight. You know, both red cards um, are costly and the second one is, is entirely avoidable. Um, but I've got so many positives from individual performances and from the game, you know, the, the, all three matches really. I don't think it's affecting the squad. Um, I think it's easy to talk uh, about it from the outside and, and have opinions from the outside, but we're a very strong unit. Um, yeah, we spoke about being uh, professional on and off the pitch. We know we're role models uh, for everyone, but we're human beings as well. So uh, you learn from your mistakes, uh, you grow from them uh, on and off the pitch. So, uh, like I said, okay, we went down to, to 10 men today, but the fight and the spirit and the togetherness that we showed was, was exceptional. And that's what we're going to need if we want to go ahead and, and be successful in, in years to come. So, um, yeah, from my point of view, we're, we're heading in the right direction. It's just about keeping our head down, keeping our focus amongst ourselves. And, and we'll be all right. Disappointing to lose any game. Um, yeah, I, I have to say I'm, I'm proud of the boys and proud of the fight that we showed. Um, for the first half hour, 35 minutes, I thought we was in control. Obviously, the sending, the sending off changes things. Um, they got a penalty that was a 50-50 one, to say the least. And, and then we go 1-0 behind. But to, to show the fight and the spirit that we did in the second half, they didn't create too many chances. We had two or three, a great save, one off the line. Um, and yeah, we were fighting for each other all the way until the end. And um, so, yeah, it's obviously disappointing whenever you lose a match. But I think it's a good experience for us in this preparation in this preparation stage for obviously the Euros ahead. Because 
on nights like this, anything can happen. Uh, and as you saw today, we went down to 10 men. Uh, we go a goal behind, but look, we have to learn from it and, and just gain experience from it. Look, I think I played well against Belgium on, on Sunday and, and started well tonight, but then obviously it was, it was tough. You know, then go down to 10 men because you can't really show what you can do with the ball. Um, I think every time I'm putting on an England shirt, you know, I'm growing more and more in confidence. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what Gareth's asking of me. Um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm happy with the way, you know, that I'm playing and the way it's going with England. You know, there's definitely much more to come. I'm only 21 years old. You know, I'm so my 11th cap tonight. So hopefully I can, can keep pushing on and see Piercy tomorrow morning, um, have a little chat with him. So yeah, that will be good. So um, yeah, look, I've been happy with my performances, but there's definitely a lot, a lot more to build on. I thought we was playing really well up until the 35th minute. You know, we was creating some great chances. You know, especially on the right hand side with Rhys James and Mason Mount, and you know, it looked like we was gonna, you know, score because then chances were coming. And obviously, unfortunate with the with the red card from from H, and the game then automatically swings into their favour. Um, and then obviously straight after they get the penalty, which then makes it you know tougher for us on the night. I think if you look at the way we played in the second half, you know, there's definitely some positives to take from the night. And I, I, I sort of understand why people are frustrated and I get it. And I think there are mitigating circumstances in the fact that maybe the personnel aren't there. I know that Crook doesn't particularly like the idea that they didn't play an out-and-out left-back. I think that criticism is over the top because, in my opinion... I sort of subscribe to the view that there's no point in taking a Ryan Bertrand or an Aaron Cresswell into a squad just to fill a gap when ultimately they aren't going to play any part in the future of what you're doing. And, and what you what you want is to bring through players who may well end up being in your squad in a year, two years' time, like Saka, like Maitland-Niles, who made his first start in a game against Denmark. I mean, they did play for 60 minutes of that game with, with uh, only... 10 men so it was always going to be pretty difficult but you know everyone's got their own views and Crook's obviously quite vocal about the fact that privately we've had that conversation about 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 the left backs it's just not one that I particularly subscribe to because I think the, the future is probably best to look at I know that everybody differs though in their point of view okay. can, I, can I can I leap to Alex's defence in, in so much as thank you Darren yeah <laughs> no in so much as yes he might not have called up players that could fill that hole but I suppose the thinking is that if you're in a tournament situation and you are you you are you lose players and that's entirely feasible that you could lose your recognized left backs so you've got to play players in that position that are going to be able to fill a gap but the biggest thing I would say is if we'd played badly against Belgium and then had a resounding win last night the mood of the nation is lifted because you're going to go away for another four or five weeks or so with a good feeling about the national team. And I think Alex is right. We don't have any momentum. We're back to being kind of patchy, um, inconsistent. We're back to having that feeling about the national team where they're hyped up. But, you know, we're all broadcasters, so let's not kid ourselves about, you know, we get excited about the England national team. And then we go into a game and we're left with this underwhelming feeling that the manager has not got the best out of players who will go into the Premier League this weekend and be serial thrillers for their clubs. So I, I do agree with, with what Alex is saying. If you look at Denmark, there is no reason why we couldn't have gone with a 3-4-3 formation against them. An uninspiring side with a powder puff attack and probably one or two quality players, the rest very average. Even when we were down to 10 men, there's no reason why we couldn't have gone to a 3-4-2. Calvert-Lewin up alongside Kane, or if you wanted to rest Kane, bring on Danny Ings. 
we should be more inspiring with the calibre of attacking player that we've got. And I think that's the reason why people are unhappy. I don't go along with this idea that Southgate's got to go, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I can see why people are frustrated having watched the England side last night. I think what is happening is that the feel-good factor that clearly Gareth Southgate and his players built up after the World Cup is declining with every team selection and every performance because even the Belgian victory, I think most England supporters saw through the cracks. That wasn't a great England performance and it was an undercooked Belgium team regardless of you know, how many of their first-choice players were missing. Southgate's got to show some teeth. He's got. A, he's a very. He's very much a diplomat, and we love him and we like him because he he manages things very well. But what we've seen, as well as the decline in the momentum, the decline in the consistency of the performances, we're seeing a decline in the discipline as well. We're seeing a, the, the England players doing stuff off the pitch that they wouldn't have done before, and they. Uh, I know people will pick out coronavirus breaches for for clubs and stuff, but the fact is that at national level. You've got to be circumspect. You've got to be at a certain level with your discipline that leaves you beyond reproach. And we're seeing little things creep in that suggest you're a bit supply teacher rather than the guy who's going to make the tough decisions. And Southgate needs to address all of those things, reinforce, reassert his authority with the national side. Because at the moment, decline is the right word. I think a few things are creeping in that might be a big problem going forward. And that is a problem on the pitch as well because they've had now three players sent off and before this Nations League started, they hadn't had a player sent off in six years. Um, But that is something that they'll have to address going forward. Let's get to the Premier League and the big games just keep on coming. And it's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He simply can't stop scoring. Comes back to Salah, and he rifles it into the net. Gets to the edge of the D. Oh! 2-1 Everton, as Richarlison worked it onto his right foot. Mane turns and rifles the ball home, and Liverpool do get in front. It's the Merseyside derby, it's Everton against Liverpool, and it's only on top sport. Goal records have been tumbling like Jordan Henderson with a touch on the shoulder, but the last three Merseyside derbies at Goodison Park have generated just three nil-nil draws. That's not going to happen this weekend, though, is it? With the spice of a derby combined with a flair of both Everton's newly formed attack and Liverpool's title-winning potency. Are we expecting a goal fest, Darren? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Because both sides can score goals, but both sides, uncharacteristically so as far as Liverpool are concerned, a little bit weak, (laughs) a little bit. Liverpool got hammered 6-1 by Aston Villa in their last game. Um, so, yeah, Everton in fantastic form, as we know. Talk about Calvert-Lewin in a sec. But as a side, they've won each of their four opening four games for the first time since 1969-70 season. You talk about titles, Everton won the title in that season. I know they're not going to do it this time around, but they do look good. And Ancelotti does know how to get the best out of his players. Uh, seven out of seven. I think we're allowed to get excited, aren't we, uh, about Everton because their recruitment has been incredibly good. But looking at who they have beaten, this is a marked step up. Massively. And, and that's why I'm, I'm not completely subscribing to the theory that it will be a goal fest. Um, I don't want to 
poop on anyone's parade, but partly because Liverpool did get hammered against Aston Villa, and I think they're going to be acutely aware of the attacking threat that Everton posed with the likes of Hammers and Richarlison and clearly Calvert-Lewin, who was in the form of his life. So I think Jurgen Klopp will make allowances for that. And equally, I think Carlo Ancelotti will know um, this is a bit of a, a watermark moment for their season, the strongest team they've faced so far. And I think he too will possibly adapt a slightly more defensive approach. So I wouldn't totally rule out a nil-nil. Sorry, guys. Crook, uh, the, the key man here is Adrian. Five mistakes leading to goals in his last 21 appearances. That's as many as, as Alisson's made in his last 92 appearances. And for me, the fact that Alisson's going to be out now for some weeks with a shoulder injury means all the pressure is on Adrian. How does he cope with that pressure? And for me, if I'm Ancelotti, I'm getting balls into the box. Calvert-Lewin, we know, is good in the air. I am putting pressure on a goalkeeper who has shown that he struggles in the recent past to handle it. That's why I think there'll be goals in this game. Do you think yeah, that Liverpool should have made a more concerted effort to assign a goalkeeper at the end of that transfer window, as was advised by Harry Redknapp, I think, on Sky Sports News on the day of the transfer window itself? I think they did make an approach for... Gatsaniga at Tottenham but from my understanding they were looking for a loan deal whereas I think both Everton and Liverpool were told that Daniel Levy being Daniel Levy would only be interested in a permanent transfer I suppose they could have gone up the road and tried to sign Sergio Romero but I doubt Manchester United would have done that kind of business they were linked with Jack Butland which would have been desperation stakes but yeah, clearly it's a problem. It's a I, heard problem. Went, I heard that they went for Gaznega and Daniel Levy asked for £70 million. Pounds. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> uh, after lockdown, when these two met, it finished nil-nil. But let's be clear, no one was fully fit and Everton sort of made a proper fight of it, motivated by the fact that they were trying to sort of delay Liverpool winning uh, the, the title. But this does bring something out in Everton. I've been to a lot of these matches and uh, when it goes to Anfield, they invariably end up losing the game or, or just about hanging on for a draw. But at, Ever- at Goodison Park I mean I think it's been 10 years since their last beat uh, Liverpool um, they, they they do make a game of it and this is a, a Liverpool team that forget Alisson forget Adrian playing in goal they've let in 25 goals in 15 games since that nil-nil in June and that says to me that actually it's not just about the goalkeeper Darren it's more a little bit about the defence and losing concentration yeah, it is. And, and it's quite weird to say that because when you look at the last couple of seasons, the leadership in that back line under Virgil van Dijk has been outstanding. But their 11 goals conceded so far as the most after four games of a league season since 1937-38, when they also conceded 11 goals in that season. And uh, again, I think a big reason for it, sorry to keep labouring the point, is Adrian. In fact, I think this is going to be a, a tale of two goalkeepers because Pickford at the other end is also a bag of nerves too. But I think if you are Everton, you are ruthless, you target the goalkeeper and you put the pressure on him because if he is Alisson, his authority transmits itself to that back four and suddenly there's a lot more confidence there as things stand because they're so worried about him suffering a rush of blood, making a mistake. There's that goal against Villa, isn't there, where the ball is coming in from the right-hand side and Adran's heading towards his left. And if you look at the picture, you're thinking, what on earth is going on here? What is he thinking? So, uh, you know, I think we are, certainly as print journalists and you guys, uh, us guys, as, as broadcasters as well, I think early next week, we are going to be talking once again about the goalkeepers. Okay. Um, I wonder what we'll be talking about at the Etihad because at 5.30, so we've got the Merseyside Derby live 
on Talk Sport at 12.30 on Saturday part game day and then at 5.30 it's Manchester City against Arsenal uh, so two big games this Saturday uh, Arsenal haven't won away at the big six since January 2015 funnily enough um, it was at Manchester City um, Crook how do they cause Pep Guardiola a headache? Well, again, I think what we've seen from Manchester City so far is, is that defensively they're, they're still lacking, um, particularly on the left-hand side where I think uh, Benjamin Mendy has been a big cause for concern. So I'd expect Mikel Arteta to adopt a similar approach to the one he adopted in the FA Cup semi-final, let City have a lot of possession, try and hit them on the counter-attack and exploit those defensive weaknesses. I'd imagine Thomas Partey, having been chased all summer and been signed for big money, uh, would probably come straight into the team and, and stiffen up that midfield. But undoubtedly, Arsenal have attacking strengths. I think it's all about getting Pierre Emerick or Bamiang involved in the game because we saw at Liverpool, he was very much a, a spectator on that left-hand side. But we saw in the FA Cup semi-final and final that if they can play through him, then then he can cause the big team's problems. Yeah, the last time a London team went up the M6 to uh, Manchester, they came back with three points and six goals. Darren, this could see a few goals, couldn't it? Or it could go the other way uh, because Arsenal were played off the park in the first game back from lockdown. If I don't know if you remember David Luiz getting sent off that I remember being at that game going, what the hell is going on here? They're in massive trouble, Arsenal. They were absolutely schooled by a masterful Manchester City. But it prompted a pragmatic response that yielded eight wins from the final 13 games. And I think it will be Operation Constrict on Saturday night again for Mikel Arteta. Yeah, absolutely right. You've just used my stat there, but it does bear out the fact that if you look at the two sides now, Arsenal concede less uh, and score more goals Mm. at the moment. Uh, City are behind them in the table. And in the game since then, you look at the FA Cup semi-final and Arsenal were on point defensively and City all over the place. Party will stiffen up that midfield. He's a kind of player, a little bit like Alan at Everton. He gets defenders a £25 million move elsewhere because he works so hard in midfield. And I think that defensively, Arsenal will be better in this match than Manchester City. It's weird to be saying this. You're talking about the apprentice up against the master. But of the two sides at the moment, I'm more confident about what Arsenal will do this season than I'm about City. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne came off uh, against uh, Belgium and we mentioned that um, he he might not be 100% fit. That defence hasn't had too much time to gel either. And with the late arrivals back from international duty, it's, it's a tough one to predict instinctively, although the quality is higher in the Manchester City team. I think there's a better balance in the Arsenal ranks who have only lost to Liverpool this season. I think they can get something from this match. I think there's a better feel in the Arsenal ranks as well. They're confident in their manager. They know their game plan. At the moment, Manchester City, probably for the first time under Pep Guardiola, look a little bit lost. They're trying to integrate the new players. They're trying to find a way to play without Sergio Aguero. That may well involve a false nine again this weekend. And, and I think this is a good time on the back of an international break when, as you say, Pep won't have had any time really to work with the players and try and get them to jail for Arsenal to be making that trip. Guys, I made this point earlier in the season. I know we are still early in the season, but Pep Guardiola's contract. When you talk about the Man City players looking a little bit lost, that word takes on an added significance when you bear in mind that there is no clarity whatsoever over whether he will stay at the club. And I think eventually that will start to affect the club. You look at them without Aguero, um, Jesus isn't that great a substitute for him, in my opinion. At the back, okay, Diaz is coming, but it's a big ask to put it on his toes to give that 
back line, the kind of leadership that Van Dijk gives Liverpool uh, when they're at their best, of course. Um, and I still look at that side and I see a beatable City side and nowhere near the invincible side of the last, what, well, before last season, the last previous three or four seasons. Sterling again, coming in field beyond one man, right foot shot from him, fantastic finish from Raheem Sterling. And that goal has been coming from the very first whistle. Lovely chest control just inside the penalty area. And a fabulous goal by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Another Arsenal goal. De Bruyne with the volley. And what a goal. What a terrific goal by Kevin De Bruyne. He'll chip in. Lacazette's header. And Arsenal score. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. OK, let's get to two games that are only visible if you pay per view. I instinctively don't like pay-per-view, not on football matches, especially not £15 a pop. Uh, But but these are the first two in a little experiment by the the Premier League. And I wonder whether or not this is something that uh, I think could end up being uh, more wider on the agenda as time goes on. Maybe a Premier League TV channel where you can just pick and choose your games is the ultimate aim. I don't know. Um, What are your thoughts on pay-per-view? Well, first of all, I'd pay 15 quid not to watch United against Newcastle um, based on <laughs> United's start to the season and on how poor they were at St. James's Park a year ago. So that's, that's my first um, standpoint. But I agree with you. And what surprises me, when the, the whole idea was mooted, I instinctively thought they would leave a lot of the games at three o'clock on a Saturday. They haven't done that. They've persisted with the 10 different kickoff times. And I think that's under the misguided conception that your average football fan is going to pay to watch every game, every weekend. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, With the greatest respect in the world, if you end up with Burnley against Leicester on pay-per-view, unless you're a Burnley fan or a Leicester City supporter, you aren't going to pay £14.95 to watch that game. You'll wait for the highlights. 
but are we being a little bit naive here in suggesting that this has all been done for an English audience? I think you and I had this discussion privately during the summer, and I think I even said it on this podcast, that I don't think that it would ever go back to the way it was. I always thought, especially while this pandemic was on, that there would always be 10 different kickoff times. Because, one, they'll want to maximise revenue. Two, because there'll be a, a TV company that expects now to get delivered 10 separate kickoff times so that they can compete with the eyeballs. And also, the other thing is, is if you've got 10 different kickoff times going on around the world at different times of the day, the Premier League has blanket coverage of the weekend rather than just at certain specific times. And therefore, things like the Bundesliga and the uh, La Liga don't sort of seed their way in to those little gaps in the Premier League schedule. So I wonder whether or not it's actually an international uh, reach out rather than it is anything to do with the local audience. Let's turn our attention to Chelsea against Southampton, though, because Chelsea absolutely thrashed Crystal Palace without getting into third gear before the international break. They kept a clean sheet, and although Saints have made themselves harder to break down, Crook, um, Ziyech is coming back, Timo Werner has scored in midweek, Kai Havertz uh, netted for Germany, Pulisic is back. They should be too strong for the Saints. Yeah, they should. Um, as much as Saints have picked up uh, back-to-back victories, not conceded a goal in those two matches, I think this is a big step up in terms of the opposition they've been facing of late. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how Ralph Hasenhutl approaches this match because the last time they took on one of the so-called big six, he played that ridiculous high line against Tottenham <laughs> and got exposed time after time. If he adopts the same approach against Chelsea. I think they could be in for um, big problems. It was interesting. I was reading a piece by Joe Cole in preparation for this podcast, and he was comparing Kai Havertz and the role that he can play at Chelsea to what Roberto Firmino does um, for Liverpool in terms of pressing high, uh, forcing defenders into mistakes, uh, bringing the likes of Ziyech and Werner coming in from the other other flank into the play. I think if he does that, that that could cause problems for Southampton because I'm not convinced, even though Yannick Vestergaard hasn't conceded a goal for club or country in his last four appearances, that he is good enough uh, to keep out that potent Chelsea attack. Having said that, what we do know about Saints is that in Danny Ings, they have a genuine goal threat. Someone who's picked up this season where he left off last. And again, Chelsea are vulnerable at the back. So I think this could be a really open, entertaining game. Yeah, two things actually concern me. The goalkeeper, Mendy. Pulled out of international duty with a thigh injury. No matter what Kepa's performance was for Spain, I'm not interested. If he's not fit, Chelsea are in trouble. Uh, and, and the midfield where I believe the balance isn't quite right yet for Chelsea. They wanted a rice or a party. Maybe they wanted a rice party. Um, if such a thing exists. Um, but they are going to end up with Conte plus... And that plus is either Jorginho slows things down and passes sideways... Or it's Kovacic, who I'm still not entirely sure what he is because he's not a destroyer he's not a ball player he's not a deep lying playmaker a box to box midfielder he never shoots let alone score so he's definitely not a box to box player either so there's frustrations there and a little bit of imbalance too yeah and and one of the um, hallmarks of Saints past couple of victories has been that they've dominated that midfield area Oriel Romeo against West Bromwich Albion not just the fact he managed to find the net for the first time in 43 Premier League games but he was back to somewhere near the player um, that when Ralph Hasenhutl first took over he built the team around they've also got Ibrahima Diallo ready for his debut and it'll be interesting to see if Ralph Hasenhutl opts to throw him in at the deep end and give him a, a bit of a baptism of fire in the Premier League 
all-time here at Old Trafford. Manchester United 1, Tottenham Hotspur 6. Horrible feeling. It's the worst day I've had uh, as a Man United uh, manager or player. I've been part of big defeats before and we've bounced back. Pulls the trigger and finds the bottom corner and Alan Saint-Maximin has opened the scoring for Newcastle. I hope the Newcastle supporters can see what we're trying to do, the way we're trying to play. There's going to be a few hiccups along the way, but when you get a couple of results, it always helps. Okay, I don't know what sound effect the producer Lucy is going to use here, but I'm sure it's going to be one uh, that will draw everybody's attention because we're about to start our preview of Newcastle against Manchester United. Here we go. I liked it, Lucy. I liked it. It was a great choice. Well done. Um, uh, the reason that we have such a, a big fanfare uh, when starting to talk about Manchester United because we have Angry from Salford uh, here with us. Alex Crook, season ticket holder. You're a season ticket holder. You are a season ticket holder, aren't you? That's why you get so. You're not a season. You're not a season ticket holder. And you go to. You must be you go regularly, right? I do go regularly. Yeah. How do you get I'm in? When, how do you get in when you when you go? I buy a ticket in the uh, Stratford End. Do you? I do, well, you, you, as you well know. Or you, or you borrow a fee, freebie. I've done that one. Ah, OK. Uh, Manchester United <laughs> have gone from steely defence to more leaks than Watergate. So uh, let's not sort of pin it on the back four because the protection was woeful again against Spurs. Looking forward, and let's not harp back to that 6-1 because we've done that already. What system does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer deploy to stop Newcastle pulling another Brucey bonus out of the bag? Goodness only knows. Um, I think it's clear uh, from what we've seen in the Premier League so far this season and with his diabolical performance for England last night. Alan Brazil was trying to defend Harry Maguire this morning. He was so far off the pace. And yes, he, he, he may almost have got the ball in that second tackle, but it was clumsy. It came as a result of a poor touch. No, he did it get the a, ball. The problem was the follow that through. he kept going and that yep. was an issue. But we've already spoken about that. And with, with Harry Maguire... I do think that maybe we need to temper our enthusiasm for sort of bringing down someone who's done a very good job for England, for Manchester United over sort of like two years. He's obviously gone through a tough period. We're not entirely sure of all of the details. And ultimately, until we get the sort of full facts and, and, and he's had a chance to sort of sort himself out, he probably needs to be taken out of the firing line, doesn't he? Rather than keep putting put in it. Yeah, but the, but the issue you've got there is if you take Harry Maguire out of the firing line, who do you put in? I mean, Lindelof is is clearly struggling for confidence as well. Eric Bay, I think when he's fit, can be very good, but he's not fit regularly enough. Obviously, Phil Jones is injured. Marcus Rojo is surplus to requirements. So I'm, I'm not really too sure what you do. Do you consider playing Emmanuel Matic as a centre-back? Do you bring Luke Shaw into a back three? Because he, he for me, is lacking the fitness to be a left-back. So I, th- I think maybe a back three could be the answer, but... There's, there's so many holes in that squad, so many questions. I mean, I think uh, Telles should probably come straight back in at left-back based on what I've said about Shaw. Maybe shift him inside. Do you persist with Pogba in midfield? who played well for France in midweek, but has been poor and disinterested for Manchester United. You've got Van der Beek who could come in there. Anthony Martial is suspended. So who do you play up front? Because Agallo has been so far off the pace post-lockdown. It's not true. So 
I, I don't have a magic formula, but I do think if you look at the run of games that Manchester United have coming up, this is a pretty crucial time for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he can't afford, for me, with Pochettino still waiting in the wings, too many more performances like we've seen so far at the start of this season. Not just Tottenham. Obviously, there was the shambolic display against Palace on the opening day. Brighton, they could have been five down in that game and somehow snuck a last-minute winner. They've been dreadful. I fear for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, feel for, I spoke to someone at Manchester United or someone with Manchester United con- connections over the last 24 hours and I think they, they fear for him too a little bit. I mean, it's not an exclusive to say that the results haven't been very good. And I think, as you say, they've got a game against Newcastle away from home. Then they've got Chelsea at home. They've got PSG in the Champions League before that. Then they've got Arsenal. They've got another Champions League game in between the two. And if he doesn't pull off a couple of big results, the microscope is going to be focused firmly on him. I don't think it's fair because he hasn't got what he's wanted from the from the board. He's asked for a lot more money to bring in a lot higher calibre of player and he hasn't been given that. And he wanted Jadon Sancho. He got Edison Cavani. And no disrespect to Edison Cavani, he hasn't played for seven months and he's trying to convince us he's fit by running on a treadmill in a hotel room. I mean, it's not, it's not Manchester United, is it? It doesn't scream Manchester United. The, the fact he hasn't been back, though, at the start of this season, should that not in itself set alarm bells ringing because but, but, but it bears why? similarities to what happened with Jose Mourinho? Well, that's true. They didn't back him either. And that's a, that's a problem, isn't it? This is what Manchester United have tended to do. That's a sign they've lost faith in the manager, is it not? But, uh, but, but you can't keep losing faith. In, what, how can you lose faith in a manager that's taking you to second then won you the Europa League? How can you lose faith in a manager uh, that has got you to three semi-finals and um, third in the league? Which, let's be honest, if I said to you at the beginning of last season, what's the limit of your ability next year? If you're Manchester United, what is the limit of your ability you would have said if we can finish behind Manchester City and Liverpool we've, we've probably upgraded we've done well to do that and they did all of those things he ticked all of those boxes so because they've been achieved surely he earns the right to go out spend again and crack on Manchester United seem to have this policy we'll spend to get to the Champions League once we're in the Good. Champions League we won't bother anymore because we'll just take the money no, I, I agree with you on most of what you said there, although I think the failure to win the Europa League can be used as a stick to beat Solskjaer with. They were favourites for me for that competition, especially with the form they showed at the end of the Premier League season and disappointed in the semi-final, no question about that. And I do wonder if these stories linking Maurizio Pochettino to Manchester City are a ploy from his camp, almost to give United the hurry up, because from what I understand, it's Old Trafford where he wants to return to English football, not the Etihad, but we've question marks over Pep Guardiola's long-term future. United are going to have a big decision to make on that one. Lucy, our esteemed producer, is here to navigate our way through three fixtures uh, we haven't touched yet in roulette rivalry. Uh, she'll hand out a game each and we'll preview off the top of our heads without any notes uh, to show our expertise or otherwise. Um, what games have we got this week, Luce? We've got an eclectic mix. Oh, good. Right. <laughs> What does eclectic mean? That means that uh, she's still struggling to find the list. (laughs) Oh, I've got them. I've written them down already. I've folded up pieces of paper and everything. It's a term often used to describe my CD collection. (laughs) I don't think so. Steps S Club 7 and Oasis Rednecks or whatever it is by Cotton Eye Joe. doesn't really count as eclectic. Um, um, Lucy, um, have you got any musical taste that you'd like to bring to the party before we start? 
I do like, I'll tell you what, first of a CD I bought was uh, The Beatles. See, that's, that's, that's good, isn't it? That's a claim to fame. I mean, And I'd just like to say, not to pick on Crook, God. I will take you back to a trip to the pub where Crook said he liked the Beatles but then couldn't name six Beatles songs. This is true. This is true. I think I did name six no, you didn't. Beatles songs. You got to five took a little and then gave it took up. A little while. It took an hour. <laughs> we, we videoed it and the video file was so long it crashed someone's phone. Music is not my guest subject. <laughs> I sometimes feel like I'm intruding on a family row. And I can't try you did today. <laughs> Come on, what's the games? Look. <laughs> right. Sam, let's start with you, seeing as uh, you're so God. eager. And I'll give you Sheffield United v Fulham. Go. Well, it's a, it's a pointless game, isn't it? And I'm not being nasty. It's actually two teams that haven't got any, any points, uh, I don't think. Sheffield United have lost their last seven match in the Premier League. They lost the last three uh, of the season. They've lost uh, four... Have they scored? I, don't, I can't even remember if they've scored or not. They never look like scoring, so I imagine that it's going to be an easier day for the Fulham defence, which is usually quite porous anyway. Um, Fulham themselves need a confidence boost. They've bought in a few players up on up until the uh, transfer deadline. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, they're desperate to, to see whether or not he can inspire them to greater things in midfield. He needs to certainly revive his career after hardly playing for Chelsea for the last year. He's had an injury, but he hasn't been able to force his way back into the team. The loser will be in serious trouble. Great reaction from that one. <laughs> right, let's move on. <laughs> Darren, you go. He did get the worst game, in fairness to him. What, what's Darren got? I'm going to give you Crystal Palace v Brighton. I wanted that. Uh, of course you did. And time starts now. Um, both of these two teams lost big just before the international break. I saw Palace hammered by Chelsea, very accomplished Chelsea side, um, before the break. And obviously, um, Brighton were beaten by Everton by four goals to two. Um, it was Jordan Ayew who scored the goal that decided the game last season. Uh, but that, of course, was at Brighton. This is at Selhurst Park I think is a good opportunity for Roy Hudson's side to get their confidence back a lot will depend on Wilfred Zaha didn't get the move he wanted during the transfer window will he be revved up and motivated to be fair to him he always has been and has started this season really well and I think his attitude will be spot on oh he stopped as soon as you said it there he was like a obedient school child wasn't he yeah I mean, like you <laughs> I'm going to give you Crook last but not least Leicester v Aston Villa each time starts now well who'd have thought uh, at this stage of the season these two would be in the top four and uh, currently occupying Champions League places I have to say that Dean Smith has done an outstanding job at Aston Villa this season shoring them up defensively and turning them into a really attractive side going forward with the signings that he's made with the likes of, with the likes of Ollie Watkins and of course Ross Barkley who made such an instant impression in that game that Darren has already alluded to against Liverpool I think this will be a, a difficult test Leicester themselves 
themselves. It surprised me. I thought they might struggle at the start of the campaign, having had a poor period post-lockdown. Sold Ben Chilwell, lost Ndidi, a vital cog in their midfield. But Jamie Vardy looks like he's enjoying his football as much as ever. I expect goals in this game because I think the two managers will send their teams out to express themselves. And this could just be whoa, whoa, uh, one of the more attractive whoa, fixtures of the weekend. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is it? Do you get an extra 10 seconds? <laughs> Again, I didn't hear her. Why can't I hear her? 53, that was. I think it's because you've got a habit of not listening to anybody else. Um, that could be the game of the uh, weekend, couldn't it? Leicester against uh, Aston Villa. That could be an absolute belter. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, that's what I just said, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. We couldn't hear because Lucy was telling you to stop. Or... <laughs> right, let's get a Tottenham against West Ham. Uh, David Moyes will be back on the touchline is this where the good run stops for the Hammers uh, Jose Mourinho really can't moan too much about the handling of his uh, England players but he probably will even if it's privately he certainly can't moan about the results and the goals that his team have racked up uh, just before the international break sensational 13 goals in two games but Darren West Ham of course a bit of a stir too um, and these two have a little bit of needle this is your patch this is your area of expertise what's going to happen I think um do you know, before the last two games of West Ham, I would have suggested that this would be an easy win for Spurs and that Gareth Bell would come back and it would be a fairy tale return. He'd be outstanding. Son and Kane alongside him, absolutely raring to go. I'm a little bit perturbed by the fact that Kane paid all 90 minutes of the England game, uh, but that's another story. West Ham defensively have been much better of late. And for that reason, it's hard to predict what will happen in this match. I think West Ham are very disciplined defensively. David Moyes making a magnificent case for working from home. And I think two clean, those two clean sheets will have given the side a lot of confidence in games lots of people expected them to get, pardon the pun, hammered in. So uh, what will happen? I think it'll be a very, very tight game. I'm actually going to go with my heart on this one and suggest that there might be a moment of genius from Gareth Bell to decide where the points go. OK, West Ham have scored 17 goals in six games, Tottenham 25 in seven. Uh, Crook, are you expecting the goals to flow? Uh, not necessarily, uh, because I still think that Jose Mourinho's natural instinct is to be cautious. And I think David Moyes is going to build his game plan uh, around a stubborn defensive unit as well. I think it could be a similar game to the last time uh, West Ham forried into North London. I commentate the game for Talk Sport against Arsenal. They were very good that day, very organised, very disciplined, uh, as Darren Lewis has said, is, is the Moyes way. And we're perhaps a bit unlucky not to get something from that game. I wouldn't expect Gareth Bale to start. I think Darren's right. It probably will be a cameo from the bench. And uh, that's going to be a great moment. Again, just a shame that there'll be no Tottenham fans on hand to see it. I see this being a tight game and I would worry a bit about Harry Kane because again I thought he looked leggy for England in the week and Darren's already mentioned that he played the full 90 minutes which won't have pleased Jose Mourinho I could see West Ham battling their way to a draw here yeah I, I, I agree about Harry Kane I thought there were a couple of occasions especially in the first 20 minutes against Denmark where he would normally get on the end of a Reese James cross that was fizzed into the box and he didn't anticipate where it was going to land and was sort of caught on his heels a little bit and I think that that is a, a bit of a concern we know he had muscle soreness in the build up to the, the Belgium game but he only played for 90 minutes in the whole of the international break so uh, it's not as if they were they were flogging him um, Sam do, do you think that maybe Harry sometimes tries to do too much when you look at Calvert-Lewin 
He's a penalty box player now. He's become a six-yard man. He's, you mm. don't see him doing all the other bits outside. He is just in and around it for when Niles balls come in. And that's what you want. Listen, it's hard to question a guy who's won two golden boots in a World Cup golden boot as well. But the fact is that in I, I, some of those balls that came in for England, you would have wanted Harry Kane to be in the six-yard box getting his head on the end of them rather than elsewhere. And I wonder if that's a consequence of the role that he's sort of taken up at Tottenham where he's almost become a nine and a half, where he, mm. he drops deep into, he's almost a ten, he creates, he he picks the ball up, he sends it over the top for Son, Son to run onto. They're anticipating the arrival of Gareth Bale as well and him doing a similar sort of thing and almost adapting his play and becoming a bit more Firmino uh, than, uh, than, than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But mm. when you're England and you need a focal point to your attack, I think you're right. You need someone who's inside the, the, the six-yard box, and that was certainly evident uh, the other night. I, I do like the, the West Ham right-back, although I've heard two different pronunciations of his name now. Uh, Kufal and Sufal. Of course, he's from the, the Czech Republic, and uh, he spells his name with a C. So, arguably, there is a, there is a, a case for the old uh, uh, Sufal. But I think that needs to be checked out. So anyone got West Ham this weekend that can ask the question for me? I'll ask the question for you. Thank you very much, Darren. But 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 you know that your point it does stand. He looks a wonderful player. They nickname him the Terminator at his last club. And I think, you know, even if he has a bad game this weekend, he'll be back. And <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just yeah. an open goal. And you're not even anticipating having a bad game because he's played all right so far. Well, he's been very consistent so far. Although it wasn't what, a team that got beat by Scotland in midweek. He might well have been, but I think that's quite saying something that the Czech Republic, who I fully expected to beat Scotland, um, were so poor. And Scotland are doing very well under Steve Clark. But it says a lot about the organisation of David Moyes, as I say. But also the transfer policy as well. Suchek that he's brought in from Slavia Prague being fantastic and going under the radar. Uh, and also Jared Bowen as well. He's brought in grafters, disciplined grafters who can score a goal but know their jobs. On the subject of the transfer policy, though, when it comes to West Ham, this Saeed Benrahma transaction is not necessarily a player who was top of David Moyes' wish list, is, is my understanding. Joshua King was his preferred target, Darren, was he not? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I, I and, thought they were uh, pulling out of the Benrahma deal to get um, a Josh King. Has that now changed again? I, I yeah, Benrahma signing. The whole thing will go to the wire, but I think Ben Rama will sign. There's been issues between Ben Rama and his club, which are being resolved. Um, but uh, there is a feeling, certainly um, at, at ground level, if you like, at West Ham, that they've got a lot of wingers. Um, and they maybe they need somebody who is versatile, a bit like Antonio, in case they do lose Antonio for any length of time. So... If I think they'll either get both. If they only get Ben Rama, I'd be interested to see how they cope if they do lose Antonio at any one time because King is waiting to be signed. I know you've got strong links on the South Coast, Alex, um, so you might be able to tell us more on that. Uh, well, I think Bournemouth are expecting some activity on deadline day, whether that be from West Ham or, or possibly Everton. I, I think they are expecting some bids. I don't think they would have turned down £13 million West Ham's initial offer if they weren't confident that somebody 
maybe even West Ham will come in and top that. OK, uh, well, we'll follow that throughout the course of the day on Talk Sports. The EFL deadline day is on Friday, I think it is, the 16th. Is that right? Yep. Uh, we'll be back when you wake up on Monday morning with a review of all of the games from the Premier League weekend on the post-match pod. And we'll look ahead to two games on Monday night as Leeds take on Wolves and West Brom take on Burnley. Thanks to Darren Lewis and Alex Crook. Uh, please subscribe and rate uh, on your pod provider. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.